0: Let me take you back. It's 1875 in rural Utah. You're part of a small one street town that has one general store for miles. You've got no other options to buy supplies except this one little store. The store owner sets the price and he doesn't have to do anything to convince you to come back because you have no other choice. Let's now fast forward to New York City in 1956. There is a store on every block for what you need. Department stores dot the skyline, peddling their discounts on everything you can think of, trying to convince you to come to their store for the same product that the other store has right up the block. There's no relationship. There's just the discount. Neither of these scenarios were sustainable. If a business has all the power, the customer loses. If the customer has all the power, the business loses. And by the business losing, the customer eventually loses too. Now enter the subscription. The first commerce model in the history of business where the relationship with the customer is baked directly into how you make money. It's an equilibrium. The customer doesn't need to pay a bunch up front because she can use the product over time, and as long as she continues to value the product, she keeps paying. The business doesn't need to continually win her patronage. Yet, if the business aggravates her or stops providing value, she's gone. She's churned. No other commerce model aligns customer and business incentives quite as well as the subscription. And I can't think of a better advocate and professor of subscriptions than Zora's Amy Connery. She founded the Subscribed Institute, a dedicated think tank focused on the challenges and opportunities of the subscription economy. Prior to that, she made a name for herself educating the subscription world at IDC. And today she's the perfect person for breaking down the relationship and customer experience piece of the subscription world. She's one of the deepest thinkers I know and her thoughts and lessons are coming up next. From well Recur, it's Protect the Hustle where we explore the truth behind the strategy and tactics of B2B SaaS growth to make you an outstanding operator. On today's episode, Amy Connery of Zora dives deep on customer relationships. We talk about what makes your business more than a piece of tech, how subscriptions make better citizens of the world, and the fundamental shift that is occurring with your customers.
1: I joined Zora late, 2017. And the reason that I joined is I was talking to teen who is our CEO. I was an analyst at IDC. So I used to go to all of the subscribed events and asked him, what are you, a lot of your companies that you're working with, they're using their, pl- your platform to build a subscription business. And they've never run a subscription business before they've, you know, they came from the product industry. And, and so this product culture and mentality what are you doing at Zora to help them with that part of the journey? Because obviously for us, we're successful. if Our customers are successful. And just having a piece of technology isn't all it takes to become a successful subscription business. So Teens' response was, we're not doing maybe as much as we could. And so I said, well, let me, I'd love to join and, and I have some ideas. So very entrepreneurial type culture, which I love came on board and the very first thing that I realized was because we sell technology, don't always have relationships with the people who are building the subscription strategy. So we have this subscription economy thought leadership that we're very well known for, but we don't always take that beyond come into the subscription economy to actually help people understand how you run a successful subscription business. So the Subscribed Institute is that framework for how we as a technology company help our customers with that. So it's a combination of events where we bring execs together and we run agendas around culture or strategy. It's also uh, research that we build both ourselves as well as with other experts who are looking at different aspects of the subscription economy and its community. So there's a community component as well, because... It's really lonely when you're off at a company trying to do this stuff and it's yeah. different from what your company typically does and you've been brought in to, to change things but you feel that people don't really understand that and, and and so being able to connect people even across industries cuz you know we're all in this subscription thing together and there's some best practices that are common across everybody yeah. and so being able to share that commiserate and sometimes even just have having uh, having someone that you know you can have coffee with and they'll get what you're going through can be really impactful
0: Strengthen numbers yeah 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 absolutely to kind of go back to the fundamentals here a little bit too you i mean you've been in like the SaaS and subscription game for quite some time you know idc and now zora and in why subscriptions why is this important you know why does zora exist almost like yeah, that's a um, it's kind of a i know in very nebulous and Philosophical question. Well, there's curious. Yeah, and then
1: there's the teens' perspective and my perspective, and 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 uh, so team being our CEO, and they sure. definitely intertwine. So, going back yeah, way yeah. back Not to the way back far machine, back. but yeah, yeah. you know, when I I was uh, 19, I worked my first software company in 1996, 1997. I wanted to become an analyst because I felt like I didn't have act. I, I was really curious about the software industry. Being a one company, it was really hard to, to just get all the questions answered that I had about how does this industry even work. So I joined IDC to become a software industry analyst in 1998, and that was at that point in time, the newest analyst coming in, they were like, hey, you know, there's these companies, not really software companies, they're offering services, but it's not really professional services. I don't know what we call them. Can you start paying attention to them, figure out what to call it, and start counting them? So when you're an analyst, what you do is you, you wrap your arms around a market and you get to count things. So there was no SaaS market. There were a couple companies that were doing interesting things, and so I wrapped my arms around, did it in an Excel spreadsheet. It was very unsophisticated at that time, but there were like, I don't know, maybe twenty companies I could find around the world that looked this way. So these are the companies. This is what we're going to call it, and here's the forecast. I started that, and I think the first forecast that I actually did was maybe 2002 for the SaaS space. And it became very clear to me as companies started to get more and more traction that the traditional software companies wanted in on that game. So SAP and Oracle, like, yeah, that sounds really interesting. We've been trying to get into this mid-market for many, many years. They're not going to buy our big, wonking R3 or whatever it is. We need to come up with something. That SaaS thing seems interesting. How do we build it? So we'd have a conversation about how to build it and became very clear the biggest challenge they had was the subscription business model because it changed everything with how they ran their business, their channel, their sales comp, how they build the product, how they price and package. Those were questions that they had that nobody else could answer. So in 2004, I launched a practice on subscription. And the whole purpose of it was to help companies figure out how to become a SaaS company and around that same time teen was at salesforce.com in fact when i was an analyst i would meet with teen when he was at salesforce and he was the cmo and had a hand in the billing system at salesforce and you know as i understand it he's always had this entrepreneurial bent and saw an opportunity you know this is something that companies are struggling with and subscriptions really really different and it's better like and i could see it too the reason i cared about in software. It solves so many problems. The reason I was so curious about software from the very beginning, so I'm like, all of our customers are unhappy. They don't like how they're buying. They don't like us, but they're giving us millions and millions of dollars. Why is that? You know, and that can't be right. There's gotta be somebody who can come in and do it differently. And if you think about every single subscription innovation we've seen, like think about car sharing. You know, think about our, the experience of riding a taxi cab in New York in a yellow cab. It's horrible. There are so many reasons why that experience is bad, and so it's ripe for a business model, a customer experience to come in and and take hold of that. So we've, he saw that happening and knew that these companies needed infrastructure, and so built Zora with with some of his co-founders, which is where you get the Zora name. I saw it as well from my perspective looking at the software industry that this is really different Companies really need resources, and this is fascinating because it changes everything. And by the way, it's not just software, it's not just technology, it's not just media. It's every industry, every company is becoming a digital company. Totally. Every company is becoming a software company. Sure. You know, whether you're a automobile company sure. or a retail company, and this, you know, idea that you're not just having transactional relationships with your customers anymore, you're building ongoing relationships around outcomes, it's hugely impactful.
0: Going from the customer perspective, you just alluded to, you know, it's better for the customer. They don't like how they're buying, all that kind of stuff. Like, you're in it, but can you explain that a little bit further? Like, why, why is that if we were explaining it to, you know, our you know, our parents or something like that about like, you know, why a subscription is better, you know, for the customer.
1: You know, I will always, I always use examples. I, I, I used the uh, example on the, at, at the talk around Netflix because you ask people, you know, what is your favorite thing to buy? And so Spotify often comes up. Netflix often comes up when I talk to me about why subscriptions are better. I will often use music streaming or video streaming as an example, because it's something that everybody probably uses today. And when I used to first give talks around pricing and packaging and iTunes was always one that came up because that, that inflection point happened, say, within the last 20 years where the way that I would buy music used to be, I'm not even going to go way back to the, the earliest form factor, yeah. but so you go to a CD, you get the jewel case and you've got two songs on it you really like, but you have to buy the whole CD And you listen to the two songs, and maybe you listen to some. You discover some things you wouldn't have other listened to that it's on the CD, and then you have this thing that has to get stored and cataloged and organized somehow. And if you really like music, you end up with a ton, a ton of things. And I remember at one point my uncle had a CD player that held two hundred CDs, and I thought that was the most amazing thing possible. But when you think about it, that was the precursor to the subscription, which is. People don't want to just consume one, they want to listen to 200, and they want to be able to program it so things come on, and they want it to be personalized. They don't want all of this stuff. We shifted in that space, right, from buying the CDs to subscribing to a curated music experience. So forget iTunes, where I can pay by the song. Think about Spotify. I can now, I'm gonna have a dinner party, I just go, dinner party. Mm. I just go, you know, I've listened to this for studying or for writing. I now want my studying or writing playlist. I want to discover new music. I want to do this. I want to do that. It's all built around me. Sure. And there, for me, there's no waste. Yeah. There's there's no physical product that's that clutters up your house that becomes obsolete. That planned obsolescence of almost every industry has always been really frustrating to me. And it should be frustrating to all of us that live in a world where there's a lot of waste. Yeah, And fundamentally, I feel as if the subscription approach, digital products and services, is a way to mitigate that, to almost be better citizens of the world. You know, we're not creating as much plastic. We're not using as much carbon, you know, because we are able to consume things in a way that's much more efficient, that's much more tailored to what it is we want to achieve. And frankly, I may spend more. I may be happy to spend more on music today than I did before, but it's so much better. And that's why I do it.
0: One of my favorite stories, Zora's success story, is Husqvarna. Mm-hmm. Um, not because I, I, I'm not a customer or anything, but I just loved how, you know, because if you think about, you know, I grew up in the Midwest and, you know, right. you have to mow your lawn and do your edging and all that kind of stuff. And you think about how many different tools you buy and... Some of them last a long time, yeah. some of them I don't last. I use that
1: example so often yeah. because my basement is filled with my husband's tools. Just
0: tools. And he uses right. them, or you use them maybe once a year, right? <laughs> right. And then they store and they take up energy and all that yeah. kind of stuff. And, and
1: then they're not work. You know, you go to use them once every 12 years yeah. and they don't work. Yeah. Or you need a new battery and they don't sell that anymore. Yeah. So, that it, there's a, yeah, the, yeah, the planned obsolescence is not your friend when you're occasionally using something.
0: You're very passionate about this stuff. Where does that come from? Did you want to be a subscription SaaS person when you were growing up? I assume, because you know, probably not. But is this like, where does that passion come from? You think?
1: Yeah, I I have always really been passionate about the combination of art and science, where those two intersect. I and and I can't think of a better place to be. There's so much art in the how you design a subscription offering and how you build your brand experience and. And there's so much science in some of the the stuff that I showed earlier today with uh, the the subscription economy benchmarks. But that's not the answer. The answer is blending those two. And I just find that so, so fascinating. And I feel like that's what's really fun, because it's all about people and building relationships, but in a techie sort of way.
0: I always think about it as you're getting closer and closer to the customer, right? You know, whoever gets closer to the customer wins, you know, typically. And so it's one of those things where, you know, if you do it based on the customer, the outcomes, all the things that you talked about, I think it it, it becomes really powerful. And kind of take a step back and when you're looking at you know, these businesses that, because Zora has a lot of businesses who are subscription first, just started, mm-hmm. that's, that's all they know, and they're, you know, they need a lot of education just because this market is pretty nascent, but they, they know more so what they're doing than not, right? right? And then you have a ton of, like, Caterpillar, right? You know, how, who, like, they've created big stuff, you know, for, right, for right. decades, if not a century, I'm actually not sure how old Caterpillar is, but and now they're getting into the subscription game, right? When you think about trying to educate them on like this whole transformational leadership, this whole change agent within internally, what do you find? Like, what do you find? Like I'm sure it's different for every company, but like, how do you get through that? How do you get through the perceived politics and the assumptions and all those different things?
1: It's really challenging. So at its fundamental core, a company like Caterpillar, like Ford, like GM, these are some of our customers that have been around for a hundred years and even Seattle times, some of our media companies as well, they've been around for 100 years, but the value in their industry is fundamentally shifting or changing for a variety of reasons. And so if you're a Caterpillar and you're looking to try to build an outcomes-based subscription service, which is ultimately what they're trying to do, you have to think differently about the value that it is you provide. And not every company can do that or is doing that. They have really the courage to say, you know what, we provide some beautiful vehicles. We have a truck that can hold something like 200 automobiles in the back of it. It's a huge, huge pickup truck, autonomous vehicle. They have amazing engineers, amazing product innovation. But that's not why people buy Caterpillar products and services. They buy them to move shit from one place to another. Yeah. Not literally shit, but...
0: Actually, I'm pretty stuff. sure. baby, yeah. A lot of tractors be, yeah. probably, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: but that's why they buy it. <laughs> yeah. They want to move stuff from yeah. one point to another. Sure. That's the outcome. That's yeah. why they buy it. And in fact, if that's the case, they don't really want to buy our big truck. They just want to use it for a period of time. Yeah. And so having the courage to say, yeah, that's why people buy it, what it is we have. And then as a leader communicate that to your entire organization. We need to rethink about what value it is we provide to the world. And when we do that, it's not limiting, and in fact grows the amount of opportunity that we have. Because suddenly all of the baggage that we have competing against someone who can make a lower cost truck, someone who can make a cheaper alternative in terms of the parts that they use, um, the planned obsolescence piece, our own thinking about green and waste and how we you know, how we're citizens of the world, all of that comes into less and less focus. And instead, we can just focus on what the customer wants and building a set of services around that. So it takes that vision first. Now, that's actually hard to do. But then even harder is, how do I think about things like cash flow? How do I adopt a new set of metrics to measure this new business? What about my channel? So you mentioned early when we were talking about uh, direct to customers or going to customers or different sets of customers. For many of our customers, they sold through networks of partners. And now their digital services, their subscription services, allow them go, to go direct to consumers in ways they've never done before. Like how do we do that? How, how do we, what, not just like how do we, What? our role with our ecosystem, which by the way is still important because we're still selling big trucks. That's how we make most of our money. But this other thing that we're doing, this other opportunity, we have to think about a whole host of operating changes that are, are fundamentally different. And I, I find that for a lot of the companies that we work with, the hardest thing is getting people to change how they do what they do every day. Because yeah. you're talking about you know people, the accounting clerk or the billing clerk or the product marketing manager or the partner manager. They've been, for 20 years, have been doing the same thing amazingly. They've built a huge ecosystem of partners that love them. And suddenly you're telling them, those aren't the kind of partners we're gonna be working with anymore because we're not distributing products anymore. We're selling a digital service. We actually need partners. They're gonna build our digital service into a marketplace. Mm-hmm. What do you do with that person? It's like, well, that's, that's not what I do. Mm-hmm. That's not what I think is valuable because all of these partners have been loyal to, for 20 years. Yeah. That, that's really, and that switch replicates across your entire organization. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really impactful and it doesn't happen overnight.
0: Special thanks to Amy Connery for this interview. Now you are better equipped to develop the relationship you have with your customers. On today's episode, we talked about what makes your business more than a piece of tech, how subscriptions make better citizens of the world, and the fundamental shift that is occurring with your customers. Thanks for listening. And if you want to support the show, which hopefully all of you do, just head over to your podcast app of choice and leave us a five-star review or the equivalent rating wherever you listen and watch, because the podcast gods tend to appreciate those types of things. Also, make sure you subscribe to and tell your friends about Protect the Hustle. It's a podcast from ProfitWell Recur, the largest, fastest growing media network dedicated to the world of subscriptions.